posed some words that I'll share. Other composers as well. And then I'll, I'll tell a little story or two. Um, and then we'll have five new pieces commissioned by the Living Earth Show. So these are world premieres, at least for three of them. Um, they workshopped a couple pieces um, in their uh, radical work that they do in different settings. So I believe Charmy's piece and um, Morgan Kraft's piece. Um, I'm going to just start by speaking my words, and then um, I'll go through what the other artists wrote. And it's going to take a minute, so I'm going to do my, my best to keep this real. Um, <clears throat> All right, so the way I write is kind of stream of conscious. Um, and so I numbered them. So one, <clears throat> quote unquote, new music, quote unquote, black bodies, quote unquote, black. I am mixed. At age 18, I learned that I was black. Racism is institutional. How do we see ourselves in our communities? As a professor, I see uh, homogenous classrooms. What am I doing? I had to leave. We are here. Two, building, healing, loving, being, affirmative action. An attempt to bring attention to voices, bodies of color. Artists of color, maybe we need to define this potential. The term composer is weighted. Creative musician, question mark. Uh, three, affirmative action, affirming that we are here. We are together. The potential of our bodies and space creating together. Celebra celebrating the power of black bodies through high vibration resonance and concentrated, deliberate collaboration. Why are we, are we here? Another moment where black and brown bodies are once again arguing for space and recognition. This is not simply music performance, but a multidimensional expression of rage slash high vibration resonance slash an attempt to explore accountability and possibly even healing. Six, affirmative action is two years in the making, two years of digging and exploring extra musical borders borders that seem to live between artistic intention and survival. One cannot simply make art when black, affording Bay Area housing and living in um, a hostile police state where our bodies are constantly systematically repressed and murdered. To create experimental art is a privilege. What would compel people of color artists, POC artists, to live in such an environment? Question mark. Seven. I absolutely feel recognized by the creative community at large, and yet I feel a need to be heard. But why, but by whom? Eight, Ava and I are founding members of the Pink Canoes. Ava was the lone female from Latinx descent, and I a cis biracial black male of a total of five critters, and I love her. She helped realize my own composition uh, positively right on for Fred Hampton. A deep human, intense artist, honored to be in collaboration. 
Charmy is a longtime collaborator and straight-up friend. Collaborator and straight-up friend. A few experiments um, with de decolonizing imagination slash oppositional consciousness with Brother Marshall Tremel are the beginnings of this formation tonight. We are experimenting. Her art is her voice. Uh, she supports me and her communi community by holding us accountable. She lives her human rights and fights for her human rights through support, showing up, and honesty. Thank you. Morgan's reply, Morgan Kraft now, kind of introducing the friends involved. <clears throat> Morgan Kraft. Mm. Okay, so this is what I wrote. I, I need to <laughs> edit this. But, uh, Morgan's reply to my first of many random fan mails, and I, I, I spelled that mail as in M-A-L-E. Um, fan mails was, where do you see yourself in five years? So he immediately jumped in on um, kind of a cry back in 2007 or so. Cry for attention. And I'll read some of the words that first introduced me to his work after this last one. Nine, why are there no black women represented here in this um, Tonight, in this. So um, those are the words. Okay. <clears throat> Take another deep breath. So, Charmy writes <clears throat> This project, Affirmative Action, has brought up complex feelings for me. Much of my adult life, life <clears throat> has been spent battling cis white men for space in the experimental and new music community. So to create an event where two white men are intentionally representing pieces for a group of radical people of color is complex. Questions that have been brought up for, uh, for me include, how is having whiteness represent our work challenging or investigative? How can we use these bodies to ask harder questions? Freelancer's Jest is a piece that explores ideas, and she's um, also changed the name, or, or added it to the name. Um, Sorry, I'm a fuck up. Her name, the piece of her name is Freelancer's Jest, Sorry, I'm a fuck up is a piece that explores ideas of power, privilege, vulnerability, and accountability. I hope with this piece to put the performers in a position that is uncomfortable for them and challenging to the audience. I hope these pieces make us think about ways that power is taken from us, whether it is consensual or not, and figure out how useful it is for us to see, to use white privilege to investigate questions around white supremacy. So, to, to introduce Morgan's piece, his is entitled Performance. Um, his piece is uh, written in, in, as a story for you. Uh, prose is the word here. 
So he's not notating pitches and time in that. He's giving them direction through kind of a story. It's a really beautiful score, uh, which we'll make available to you because it's really heavy what he's asking us to do. Um, but this is what I found in researching um, black art. Uh, George Lewis wrote a book called Power Greater Than Itself. And on page 510, I read this. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go for it. So, uh, what will not produce a new noise, however, is the ongoing tendency to frame as canonical what I have called elsewhere a composite construction of a whiteness-based transnational pan-European experimental aesthetic that would frame as axiomatic the permanent marginalization of African-American agency. This is the danger Morgan Kraft pointed out when he wrote to the British magazine Wire. And this is where his quote begins. I'm constantly fed this steady stream of future-thinking folks from Germany, Japan, UK, Norway, etc. But when it comes to America, all I hear about is the genius that is free folk, or if it's black, it must be hip-hop, jazz, or long dead. How many more articles on Albert Eiler do we need? Indeed, and this is where the quote ends. Indeed, if jazz, the avant-garde, and other musical movements have become part of a larger network in which no one seen is dominant, resistance to the essentializing impulses that dis discursively block freely forming conceptual, financial, social, and cultural flows is critically important. At the same time, Kraft does not see the problem as based solely on racialized dislocations of discourse and power. In addition, he points to the assumption of responsibility and agency by African-American experimental artists as crucial to the emergence of new noise. And this is his last quote. That, that was Lewis speaking. Now here's the last quote of uh, Lewis, of uh, Morgan Kraft. What does the black American music musician do now with the space she, he, they, has been given. Hip-hop, jazz, and blues existed. Improvisation and resource fullness are present. The awareness of European and Asian traditions inform our approaches. Technology is within reach. The hype of the interconnectedness of individuals is here. What does the black American do with all of this? What do we do now that sample culture is so prominent? He writes, he plays with words and success comes before an actual gestation period with our materials. What is the black American working on in terms of taking sound forward? Where is the next generation willing to dig deep and come back with new blueprints we desperately need? Um, this is Morgan Kraft writing uh, maybe 10 years ago, and I had read that in the book. And I literally emailed him. I found him online and um, emailed. And he came back at me with this beautiful um, question. And that started a conversation that's now been about 10 years long. 
um, I finally got to meet him, and that's when Marshall and I started playing his black spirituals uh, about six years ago. Um, lastly, um, talking about Raven, he is uh, Navajo, First Nations, lives in Albuquerque, um, and a really, really powerful uh, composer, artist. He works with a group called Post Commodity, so look him up. You're doing really powerful work. And um, he will host you when you're in Albuquerque, so email him. Um, he's currently in Berlin for a year, I believe, doing some really radical residency. Um, Ava and Raven speak about their pieces, so I'll read Ra Raven very quickly. Tributary is a study for a longer work that I'm writing for The Living Earth Show where water is an interpreter of the performance. This and the larger work look at the unspoken dynamics and shared experience that can occur between a duo when given the agency of choice within moments of variable interlocking durations. Conflicting timbers, camber, and un unwielding and unpredictable instruments. Ava Mendoza writes of her piece entitled Attempted Dictator. Okay, as a guitarist composer who usually writes for groups I myself am part of, composing for the Living Earth show represented a new step for me. I come from a background in rock music, avant-garde jazz, and improvised music. In most of the groups I write for all the players are both good improvisers and good readers of conventional notation. In these contexts, I write with the goal of integrating notation with structured and free improvisation. When this project began, um, I made the choice to use a more through-composed approach since Living Earth specializes in difficult contemporary classical music. So most of the music I wrote is strictly notated, with little room for inter interpretation. Essentially, this piece represents a more conservative classical play what's on the page, quote-unquote, or composer as dictator, approach when, uh, than I would or ordinarily take. With that said, I am a lefty weirdo at heart and couldn't help but write in some moments of structured improv improvisation and indeterminacy choice-making by the performers, especially in the third movement. Big thanks to Z and the Living Earth uh, show for their investment in the work and commitment to performing it uh, convincingly. And the only thing I would say about my piece um, is I've been working with tuning systems for um, about 10 years now. And so my piece is written in a new harmonic tuning for guitar, six different tu uh, tuned strings of um, a fundamental. And it plays against uh, the Western tuning system that we use for guitars usually and pianos, and in this case, the, the vibraphone. So it's a mixture of two intonations, and they're, they're making it work. Okay, thanks for letting me talk. And we're going to be able to talk afterwards. I think we'll open it up for conversation if you need to share anything. And um, I want to just say thank you, too. They have been killing it. Uh, yeah, slaying. Thank you.
Here's the order. We're going to start with Morgan Kraft, which is called Performance. Then we'll go Ava Mendoza's Attempted Dictator, Raven Chukong, Tributary, Charmy Bosu, sorry I'm a fuck up, and Zachary Watson. Thank you. 
When I was in school, um, one of my one of my close friends. It um, uh, so when I was in school, one of my close friends was a um, pathological liar that kind of came out over the course of the year. Um, in that, like this person, who's actually was extremely lovely and nice and a, a close friend. Um, turned out had been 
um, spreading, not, not even rumors, but where there was a, an element of pathology to it um, around both very large things. Um, this person sort of had spread, like, had told people and lied about it that we had been, like, dating and had various other things to the very small, like, minute elements of just details that made very little sense to make up but were very clearly not true and unverifiable. And um, by the end of the year, we had to um, actually confront this person about what was, what was actually going on at this time in this person's head and why this was all the case. Um, and we ended up um, confronting this person in such a way that um, I think I've never really seen someone react in a way that kind of demonstrated someone's brain betraying them. And I was shocked and sort of like wounded in a way that I haven't been in quite some time. I've been thinking of something to talk about very hard today. And now that my feet are so hot, I cannot think of anything other to talk about than my sister. Um, and I remember um, being teased by her in the living room of my parents' house just for all kinds of stuff, uh, like mental acuity, uh, physical appearance, and probably a criticism of whatever task I was doing at the time. And it was like one of the few times as a kid that I actually like took off after her, uh, like intending um, to do her physical harm because she hurt my feelings so bad. And then I slipped on the shitty linoleum floor in the kitchen and then I put my face through the drywall. And then it was, I was just like shocked because I looked at it and then there was like the shape of my face in the drywall. And like, I couldn't believe that I was okay or anything like that. But like, it was like such a shock because like I had been very like emotionally wounded by uh, an older sibling who like kind of played hell with me anyway. And then my face also felt weird. So. I just like, but I was like so overwhelmed by all that and then also what I had just done and how much trouble I was going to get into that I kind of forgot all about uh, my emotional hurt. Talking about my this um, in general, yeah, it's, I, it's extremely uncomfortable physically, um, less so, um, yeah. Um, the first time, to my knowledge, that I ever had sex with someone who was HIV positive, um, I like lost it in the way that one like loses it if one's knowledge of what being HIV positive was was shaped kind of exclusively by what one hears as a child, um, as this kind of crazy death sentence and this weird, you know, this this stigmatized thing, and when like this was sort of revealed after the fact. I was, I handled that in the way that I think one would maybe expect someone whose knowledge of what HIV was um, would react, which is not particularly well. Um, sort of extremely angry and 
um, betrayed, and all, all the things that one would imagine of someone who felt as if someone else had intentionally done something extremely harmful. Um, and so I like, yeah, was extremely upset and ir uh, ir irrational and illogical in the response. Um, and to the point where like, um, yeah, he had to like get um, like his doctor to like call me and was like, no, here's what undetectable means and here's what all the things, and like I, looking back on that, um, like I had no idea what being undetectable meant, what PrEP was, what any of the things that actually, in the things that sort of make, make stigmatization of HIV and being HIV positive so negative and so harmful for really everybody. Um, and I think looking back on that, I did that person tremendous harm unintentionally um, because that's, for tons of reasons, that's not the person who's HIV positive's responsibility to reveal. That is totally an interaction that is in, inflicting that responsibility on folks who are HIV positive is extremely harmful and stigmatizing and all the things. Um, and so I was, that is a person who I harmed in a way that I should not have. Okay. So this one time uh, in school, uh, uh, I had been drinking a lot and then I continued to do so and uh, walked into a bar and then there was uh, like uh, just someone bent over in front of me just wearing denim jeans and then there was there was like a uh, there was a butt crack in front of me and then um, I just like uh, put my pointer finger in the butt crack and um, Uh, turned out it was like a, a friend that uh, yeah I went to school with. I think at that point to me, just like kind of the way that I, uh, you know, like my persona or whatever uh, would be to probably like shoot first, ask questions later with that type of uh, sexual harassment. Um, but yeah, it was actually a friend from school. Thankfully, it wasn't like a total stranger for a bunch of reasons. And uh, they're really pissed off at me. And then I had no idea what to do other than to write a card that said, sorry that I, uh, you know, sorry that I assaulted you. And that has aged really poorly for me. And I've kind of been horrified to talk about it, so it feels really weird to talk about it on a microphone. Um, as far as resolution goes to this, um, I think it definitely um, informed who I, how I interact with people in the world. And, um, I think talking about all this stuff is interesting to me because as a musician who spends, I spend sort of like my life trying to be as invisible as possible on a stage, because that's sort of what one's job is as a, as a classical musician whose job is to interpret the works of composers. 
or we'll play um, music that's written for us, but our job is to sort of be the, the voice of whatever composer we're, we happen to be working with. And this particular interaction in this piece, in this moment, highlights a lot of the, I think for me, try as I might or might say, there's the space I take up on a stage is tremendous, and the um, the 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 agency of that interaction is exclusively almost on me and on the people that I work with and the people on the stage at any given moment. So I think being forced to actually speak about myself as a human, which I actually avoid, I don't like. I, I try to make myself as kind of blank a canvas as possible professionally. Um, is a really compelling way for me to reckon with the fact that the invisibility that I sort of try to strive for is impossible and needs to be reckoned with constantly. I dread this part of the show um, for a number of reasons. One is that I have some of that same thing where um, I rehearse the thing as hard as I can, and then I present it in front of people. So I'm putting something out there, but I'm not actually, you know, re revealing anything meaningful about my person, which is, I think, uh, rare to see. Um, so it's difficult, especially since I consider myself to be a very private person, to do that, and I feel trapped by this moment in the show because my ego won't let me not do it um, to say that, okay, well, how much of a performer are you? Are you actually willing to sit down in a chair and talk about this stuff in uh, an exposed way?
perpetrated harm often resist responsibility for that harm by blaming others, lying, evading the conversation, damaging the credibility of the person they harmed, or lashing out at anyone who asks them to take accountability for their actions. We have all, at some point, struggled to admit we were wrong or acted in a hurtful way. Before I can acknowledge someone else's experience of my actions, even if the offense is as small as not washing my share of the dishes, or accidentally saying something hurtful, I may have to work through protective layers within myself.
Thanks everyone for being here. It's super nice. Here's our Q&A portion where you can ask us questions. Um, and yeah, you can ask us questions about stuff and um, feel free to be as open as you want to be about any confusion you have. And um, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Andy and Travis, for playing our pieces. And thank you, Zach, for coordinating. And I'll thank myself for wrangling. Because <laughs> nobody else did. So. I had one and a half beers. So here I am. Um, yeah, we had some questions that we were thrown out there, but um, I think we're, maybe we can just start off with other people and then can come into our own question and answer stuff. Do you have anything to say, Zach? Oh, Byron. Um, the, there were prompts for them to answer, so I'll just say what the prompts are. Um, so the, they were, uh, talk about a time that you felt hurt by someone and you felt like that impacted you, um, and talk about if there was any resolution and talk about the experience of talking about this experience, both in front of people and in hot and cold water. And then the second prompt was um, talk about a time that you hurt someone else that was you think was impactful for their lives and um, talk about if there was any resolution and um, the experience of talking about that experience. Yeah, I mean, it was all material from us, but I think, yeah, I mean, those are our personal experiences, but I would consider the piece extremely through composed. Um, like I would consider, even though it's sort of our experiences, I would call that piece Charmy's piece. Um, I think just in the way that the interaction was dictated and com composed in a very traditional sense, um, which I think was a really, I've never sort of like had that interaction kind of turned on its head in any way in any composition I've played or heard. So I think a, a combination of the two is the answer. I am walking around and like investigating the audience. I still feel as if I have very little control over what's happening. It very much feels like But they were their experiences and completely improvised in terms of how they talked about it, just like you might talk about it in any other situation if that's something you ever talk about.
Charmy, Charmy did not disclose that. <laughs> well, we talked about it before the show, and he said, dude, you have to drop your stick. <laughs> His work is always, I think, around the intersection of, at least musically, um, traditional, traditionally contemporary classical techniques like hitting a drum or a floor tom or like a sizzle cymbal, and the friction sounds that he uses with the tiles or the found objects like the uh, tin pan. Um, I think a lot of it kind of came from him in a space where there was So that's a bucket of broken mirror glass. Um, and uh, I was breaking things into and stirring. Um, a match was struck against um, Oh, yeah. We also, so this is actually also part of a larger piece in his book for creative writing for us. Um, we're going to do some acrobats in the spring. This around water and how um, basically when, in crisis, when water crises. Unfortunately, directly impacted our local reservation. So he wanted to make it work that um, kind of used water as an instrument and an element that mirrored immersion. So he, this is a, this is a shorter piece that he's spending from this. He's going to build the larger work. And in that piece, Andy has to play a sink, yeah, uh, which was a contender for this piece. But I didn't think he could play a tile. Any other questions? So just on a very surface level, um, I feel very, you know, very happy with the choice choice of programming. Um, Charmy's piece was really powerful for me, so I was um, really listening, and inside of my own position of the questions you asked of them. Um, 
so I thank you for allowing that space. Um, yeah, this was good. It's going to take me a minute. I'm kind of just done right now, actually. I'm a little bit, um, yeah, it was, that, that's an experience. I'm, I'm very um, just overall proud of everyone here for the work we did. Um, really to the last minute, y'all, like last minute. I finished my piece a couple days ago. And as collaborators, we've had a, a, dif a difficult ride. Um, I'm personally having, having a rough one, you know? It's been a tough year couple years, and um, I'm finding that I'm not being the healthiest. So when that turns into relationships, for instance, as collaborators, I found myself harder to reach towards the end here. Um, and kind of retreating. That's when Charmy actually kind of came to the rescue in many ways. And I uh, hope you know we really love you, appreciate you for that. Um, which makes your piece even more, even more relevant. Um, but I'm really proud of us, we did it. Good job, y'all. It's complex.
I think um, one of the things that I was most, um, I think the thing for me that, one of many things that I was really excited about with this is to put a bit of a magnifying glass to that relationship. Um, I think particularly in larger institutions when it comes to, like when, on the rare occasion when works by composers or artists of color are highlighted, um, it's done so in such a way that deliberately, like, like the, the, the people who really have the agency in that interaction are often not the artists themselves. And that's sort of intentional. It's never, that interaction is, is talked about less than it should be. And um, the pressure that we felt in this show is certainly unlike anything that I've ever experienced as a performer, um, both in terms of what it took to organize a show like this um, and be kind of conscious of the space that one takes up as, an, as a commissioning organization that works with artists to, um, yeah, that, that really at the end of the day, like the, the people applying, like we'd be applying for a grant as our organization. And so like in a lot of ways, the agency in that interaction is complicated on kind of negative on purpose. And so, yeah, I, this, this whole show, every step of the way from the collaborative process to the actual performance, um, this, space that we take up was on our minds, and I think, I can't speak for you, but I know I'm not the best at, um, or there's, there's room for tremendous improvement at any given time, um, but I think with patient collaborators and really supportive people involved in the performance, I think like, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I, I was, excited with how that question was dealt with um, from the ground up. Um, and I'm not sure how effective it was to anyone other than me, because I can't know that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was meaningful for me to be a part of from, from day one till now. I mean, say something. Um, so, I mean, for me, like with that question, I think is like the thing of like this piece, Hello. <laughs> um, is kind of automatically like centering whiteness. You know, that's what it is. That's the whole, that whole project is centering whiteness. That's what this whole thing is. There's like no, you know, is it <laughs> really, you know? And you guys are representing us. Like we feel attachment to these pieces. We wrote them. We want you to perform them a certain way, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Um, and that quest for me, that question was really stressful. Where it's like, okay, like for me, the like in the beginning, we were like, okay, are Andy and Travis gonna talk about what this project is for us, and we're gonna tell them what to say, and it's gonna come out of their mouths? Like that's what we the question was in the beginning. And I was like, if this happens, I'm gonna flip out. <laughs> if this happens, I'm gonna freak out on everybody. And I think I said that <laughs> explicitly and um, was like, you know, Zach, you need to get this shit together to do this, you know? Because that dynamic is so intensive in every, every situation that we're in, you know? And I think, I mean, speaking as like, you know, a woman of color playing and being in academic music, 
having been in the mill, like, whatever, and being literally like thrown out for talking about decolonization and white supremacy, period. Um, yeah, I don't know, that, that question was like really loud for me where it's like, okay, yeah, if people like our pieces, that's great. And if anyone has, I mean, and I think everyone has confusion about what this is, what does affirmative action really mean in this situation, you know? Like, what is this really affirmative action? What is What are we as artists of color really getting out of this? There's so much labor putting, being put into by all parties, I think, especially us four here, you know? And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that there's an answer for it other than like, obviously like white supremacy is coming in and making things hard for all of us all the time <laughs> and that's in this situation very much so as well and was a very huge pressure i know for myself and for zach um i don't know do you have anything to say about it well when they first invited me two years ago or more um to do this they wanted a larger piece and i said to myself I don't feel comfortable writing a large piece for these two men. But why? Um, didn't feel right at the time. But it's not, it's, it's obvious these two slay are radical, high-level artists. And I've seen their work before and um, recognized their skill 